Welcome everyone to the Park Hills podcast and this is on the subject of depression and we're hoping that this will be a blessing to you and we want uh, to be a resource to you and and we certainly want you to get the help you need if this is a struggle for you. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is on the subject of depression. This is our second in a series. And uh, again, uh, this is Pastor Mark, and I got Pete McClanathan here with me. And we're going to go into um, the depression uh, podcast a little deeper now and and really call it inside that dark and lonely place of what it's like to be there. And I think it's important to note that... uh, just by way of review, some of the things we talked about last last time, Pete. Yeah, and these are things and themes that we'll just be keeping in front of us all the way through this season together. First of all, we need to understand, as we talked about in a previous episode, that depression is a serious and complex topic. Uh, it's a lot more common than we often realize, and we need to say that it's often misunderstood Um, because it's so complex and mysterious. There's a lot of widespread understanding or misunderstanding about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think too, there's that uh, people who uh, struggle with it. I think there's a sense of shame too, because the sense that people don't understand me, but I think at this point it'd be good for us to, to go into and say, let's, let's define it. You know, we, you know if we're going to talk about, it, we really need to know what it is we're talking about. So what, what would you say depression is? I've had many people ask me that over the years because I would let them know that this is something I've struggled with. I'm talking about people I'm close to. And I was never able to, and I'm not completely able to right now, give a clear definition Mm. because it's such a complex mental and emotional phenomenon. Um, I could talk about sadness. I could talk about discouragement. I could talk about fear. And those are all elements of depression, but I'm convinced that depression is an animal of its own. And I say this because of not only my own experience, but talking to others about it. Um, It seems to be, at least in the experiences that I've either had or talked to others about or read about, there's a phenomenon where there's a decoupling of emotion from the mind. And what do I mean by that? Um, let me let me give you an example. People often will look at a depressive and think he's functioning just fine. Uh, he, they may not even know that he suffers from this. I've had good people, even in um, the last several years of this really dark season I've been in, tell me, You're doing fine. You seem to be fully on your game. And the point is that um, 
we can be cognitively fine and we can know how to go through the mechanics of life, whereas this depression is still lingering upon us. I like to um, compare it to a locomotive. You may know I like trains a lot. Yes, you do. And there's, there's something about a locomotive and a train. You know, you can see it from the outside, but you don't see what's going on in there. Even I don't really understand all the stuff that goes on inside the, the engine. But you can look at a locomotive and its train on a track from a distance or even up close, and it looks shiny. It's well-painted. Uh, the crew is able to uh, run it, and it's got a purpose. That is to move down the track. However, if one of the wheels of the locomotive is off the track, that train won't be able to move. Mm. But you won't see that until you get up close and maybe talk to the crew who's dealing with it. So from a distance, everything will look fine, but there is something that's keeping that locomotive from moving. And that is the best I can do to make a comparison with depression. Now that, that That's well put. That's a good uh, visual illustration. It's good of you to use your train yeah, knowledge yeah. to do that. Uh, you know, I, I think I you know mentioned in the previous podcast, too, that in my seasons of it, I can be, I guess, what you would define as high functioning. I You just function and you have to, but... Yeah, there's there's more with a closer look. You go, yeah, things aren't just quite the way they should be. And and I, part of the reason that it's good to define it is because we need to then understand what that leads to, but not just what that leads to. Some of the things that it leads to might actually be the warning signs that someone is, actually is in depression. You may not even know it's depression until you see what some of these other things that, that come from it are. That's really good, Mark. Um, I'll talk a little about, or from my own experience, um, my first depressive crash was in 1998. Um, although I think, I think I said in our previous episode that I can now see the footprints of depression over my whole life, but it wasn't disabling until 1998. And it's interesting, I was going through a time of various multiple stresses, things that I was able to handle quite well normally. But they were piling up on each other, and I won't go into detail. But I can remember the hour when I felt something change in my mind. Um, It was no longer wrestling with issues. It was as if part of my mind had moved away from my emotions, or vice versa. And I knew that that was a place I'd never been, and I knew it was, a, it was a frightening place because I couldn't control it in any normal way. I don't know if this is true, but mental illness over the years, you know, is sometimes coarsely and casually referred to as being out of your mind. Hmm. Truthfully, that's kind of how it felt because there was a part of my mind and emotion that wasn't connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that disconnect. 
I had a um, friendship a few years ago with a man who was seriously depressive. And uh, when, when I had my second crash about uh, four and a half years ago, I said, I think I now know what you're going through because I had remembered it from, from 20 years ago. But I said to him, it's like life is a movie. And he jumped right in and said, and you're not in it, right? And that's exactly what I was going to say and exactly how he felt and how I had felt. Um, it truly takes on a life of its own, and it's hard to explain it. Um, but the thing we need to understand is that um, something is going on. We need to give ourselves permission not to take on a victim attitude, but to realize we are dealing with a medical condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and give yourself some room to, to be okay in, in realizing that you're not. Right, exactly. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, some of these, you know, the, the, the effects of it then can, can kind of spiral and, and, and kind of pile on each other and, and make things more complicated. And it can be hard to function that way. And I, and I, I can agree with that, too, in, in my bouts with it. It's where you just don't, I don't feel anything deeply. You know, exactly. uh, and it's just kind of a numb, a numb state, and and it doesn't feel right, does it? It's just not not a comfortable condition. No, and one of the things that characterizes it, uh, and even the um, medical and professional people have made this one of the one of the landmarks of depression is that our usual pleasures don't come through. A um, couple of examples, you know, I've um, I've been a Wisconsin football fan all my life. My dad used to take me to the games. And five years ago, before my depressive crash, I had season tickets to Wisconsin football. Um, I gave them up the next year because I knew I wouldn't be able to handle that. Some friends tried to take me to a game. Actually, they did take me to a game. And it was completely devoid of my normal pleasures. Hmm. I could see everything going on, but I could not manage my emotions. Um, I tried taking a train trip about three years ago, thinking that's always something that's pleasing to me and relaxing to me. And uh, it was the same situation. That black dog, as Charles Spurgeon called it, wouldn't go away. And the problem again is that most of this is invisible to others, um, but it can lead to things like procrastination in our own lives, erratic work, or withdrawal. And there's one more thing I want to say, because, and I say this to the depressive person, because we do have a role in our own welfare, and we do have an ability to begin to change the way we look at things. One of the common things that I've seen my whole life 
with people who are depressive is that they can tend to blame their own circumstances. And that can be difficult. They can talk about hurts from last week or from 60 years ago or everything in between. And you know what? As I examine my own life, those things are definitely there. I'm not going to talk about what they are, but I can see significant causal behaviors and situations that probably contributed to my own depression. However, if we stay in that point of view where we're blaming the people around us, it's going to cause excessive control. It's going to give us a sense of entitlement to control and to get our own way because we've suffered for so long. Uh, We make demands on others, and um, it tends to just hold us in to that place of despair. This doesn't mean that we don't have the right to talk about our situation, but we don't have the right to demand. And that's a warning for you folks who, like me, are uh, suffering from depression. Um, We have to be careful with our own point of view on our own selves, be a little easy on ourselves, but we also have to understand that other people aren't going to understand where we are. Mm -hmm. And as a result, our attempts to control or demand are going to be interpreted as improper, unfriendly, and uncomfortable. And they're only going to increase our sense of isolation. Yeah, that social factor is really significant there. And and you're going there with it too. Just because, first of all, I think... The, the understanding, trying to understand yourself in a point of depression is a, is a challenge by itself to go, why do I feel this way? Why do I no longer care uh, about the Wisconsin games? Why do I no longer care about things that I used to care about? Why do I feel this dulled sense of, of emotion toward things that used to stir emotion in me? And so that, that creates an issue. And then the, the social side of that is... I think it's important for us to remember that if we're struggling to understand what we feel, then it's certainly hard for those around us to, to interact with that. Well, you said it very well. And this isn't blaming the other person at all. It's simply a fact that because depression hasn't been well-defined, because it is, as they say, it's the gray science, uh, because of that, other people even well-meaning people are going to be at a loss to how to take care of the depressive person in a positive way. I had a, an aunt many years ago. This would be about 50 years ago um, who uh, went through death by suicide. Mm-hmm. And the family, now this partially is a historical thing because 50 years ago there was even less understanding of depression than there is now. But the family's reaction was to blame the husband Mm. and the people around her. Um, Didn't love her well enough, didn't care for her well enough. Made her life difficult. And you know what? That probably was true in part. but In that case, sure. But uh, I've identified enough of depressive uh, behavior 
long-term depressive behavior in that side of my family to realize that um, there was a lot more going on. In my first year of law school, there was a, uh, a student in, in my uh, class, a really nice guy. We used to go to Boston Celtics games together, and uh, sometime in uh, the winter of that year, he um, he went through a death by suicide. Mm. Of course, that rocked the whole law school community. Oh, yeah, and some of the discussions that were had were very positive. How do we balance the stress of law school with the uh, personal needs of people? But even then, there was mystery and some blaming. And all I can say about that is, okay, but it really doesn't get to the root of what we're going through. Maybe there are signals in all of that that we need to treat people more affirmingly. Maybe we need to uh, realize the difference in people, realize the difference in their reactions and their emotions, and even those who are involved in depression. Maybe we need to realize that they each have their own experiences. Yeah, and to have an attentive uh, mind to even our own selves. And I think that's what's important about the, even you going back and defining it. Because again, and we mentioned that in the first uh, podcast, it, you know, this isn't a, having a bad day. This isn't a, you know, you're sad because, uh, you know, you lost someone or something like that. This is a, something far deeper and, it, and it's a, a more systemic problem that, that continues for a duration and often without any good reason. Um, and, and it does manifest itself in those ways. And that's what's real valuable about you sharing those warning signs too, because it might it might answer people's questions that they've had going on for a while. And again, on, from the outside looking in, I think it just speaks a little bit to, to how we're to, to care for one another and be attentive to one another. Hopefully there's people in your life who are close to you and who can uh, know, see even through even a high functioning depression and say, what's going on? And, and so that that's important. And the social factor can I just say that, you know, too often we're worried about blame. The person who's depressed might be blaming it on themselves or blaming it on somebody in their past or whatever. Or even we might be, from the outside in, be blaming someone for, for a behavior that maybe they can't control because of this. Exactly. And I don't say this in an unkind way, but I think we have to understand that the depressive really shouldn't expect a whole lot of understanding from other people because of the nature. Now, that doesn't mean as we go forward in a relationship with them, friends or family members, that we um, don't come to understand ourselves better, which allows other people to come to understand us. But overall, um, there's just an awful lot of misunderstanding and stigma out there. Another person, um, I've got a very good friend um, in another part of the country who um, got married about um, 23 years ago. And uh, his wife, it turns out, suffers from depression. Um, and you know what? Um, 
I've come to know her on a level that he can't because we share each other's depression. Mm. But um, I, I remember saying to her a couple of years ago, you have a very good husband. He's good to you, and you know that, and you talk about how good he is. And he's been a very good friend to me. But I don't believe he really has any understanding of what you or I are going through. And she affirmed that immediately. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's you know that's part of the social thing. Now we got I got to just step back just for a moment and say that does not give us license to be victims. That does not give us license to uh, control or to demand. What it does is help us understand that as we tread through these dark waters, we have to understand that there are people who will be able to tread with us, but maybe not really help us understand what the problem is. But I'm thankful that they're at least willing to walk with us. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, it's, it requires patience for sure in how we, uh, even how, even what we expect from other people too. And it's, if again, if they don't understand, how do they know how to interact exactly. with you? And you know, all of these different themes that we've brought out in this podcast and in the previous one, um, they really we leave a lot of the stuff on the table to discuss as we go, because we can only point out these different themes, these different possibilities, without and if we don't go in deeper into them, um, we, I feel that we'd kind of be leaving people um, unsatisfied and maybe mm-hmm. not helped. So we plan to talk uh, on a lot of things in the coming weeks. Um, we're going to talk about what we can do, the things that we can do and what others can do. But as we did last week, I, I want to close this with um, a biblical perspective of how we can find help. And, you know, you can find that all over the Bible. I've chosen a familiar passage, Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. Mark, Mm -hmm. would you read that? Yeah, good one. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. You know, there are three words in that two verses that I'm going to discuss a little bit in the context of depression. And the first one is comfort. When we are in our depressive seasons, God can seem far away. Um, There's the same process that goes on with the whole problem of human suffering. We think, God, you have the capability of relieving my suffering you have the capability of making me healthy again, and I want you to. Why aren't you doing it? Um, hmm. What we, and, and you know, that can get us stuck. That can take us away from God. It can cause us to blame God. It can cause us to feel God is irrelevant. Um, I like to come back to the gospel message as a whole, and that gospel message is that. Um, through whatever we might be going through, the Lord is there. He sees what we're going through. He has a purpose. 
whatever that might be. But when we're offered comfort, you know, in depression, there is a longing for peace. There's a longing for normalcy. That comfort is being offered to us, not to take our pain away, but to help us live through it. Um, the word warfare in that passage, that's a good way to describe depression. Mm. You're at war with your own emotions. You're at war with struggles through your whole life, guilt, shame, regrets, all of those things, at least in my experience, become huge in the middle of a depressive season. But we're also offered pardon. And we need to stand on the fact that we don't have to feel guilty about our depression. And we don't have to feel guilty about the things that we might have done or others might have done that build into our depression. We accept comfort. We accept pardon. And, you know, it's not a switch that you turn and it's going to suddenly heal all of your pain, but it'll put you in a place where you realize that you don't have to worry about it all on your own and that you do have a loving and powerful God who has his hand on you. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's all you can find in the middle of your despair. But I wonder if maybe that's not all that we need. Good words. Father, would you walk with us through daily life? And Lord, may your peace bring peace where there isn't peace. And Lord, would you just ease um, the pain of the times of depression? Lord, would you just help us to... Um, just find comfort in you and to remember that this is temporary and everything that this life involves is temporary um, and there will be relief. And Lord, I pray that you'll just be with those who are just caring for their loved ones who might be struggling as well. Lord, we commit them to you and we ask your blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.